power on. The following is a presentation of the Sovereign Tech Podcast feed. It's TIE Fighter Renegades, a Star Wars podcast. Ooh, it is time for a little TIE Fighter Renegades, baby. I know it's been a while, but man, do we have exciting stuff coming up in May of 2022. So we need to get this ball a rolling. Uh, of course, we are talking about in May of 2022, that being the uh, finally the premiere of the Obi-Wan Kenobi series, which is pretty divisive stuff for a lot of reasons and we'll get into that uh with someone who's not joining me for this episode but you know robin freebeard and i are gonna talk about obi-wan when it finally comes down uh we'll probably get in the first couple episodes uh, i think they said they were going to do some back-to-back episodes which was a smart move considering that with book of boba fett a lot of people felt the first episode was underwhelming And they said it would have been better if they had like a few, either if they could binge the whole series or if they could, you know, binge one or two or three uh, of the initial episodes to really get a taste and feel for the flavor of it. Um, So we'll see what happens with that. But I will save that conversation for when my man Rob is is on to talk about it. Um, But I'm here solo for this episode. Brian Sovereign ready to talk about none other than Star Wars novels, something that I feel like. I'm kind of the only one left that reads them, (laughs) but I'm going to guess I'm not the only one uh, that still reads them. I also still read the comics and have a lot of reviews I want to do of those. Um, We also, I want to do just a massive review show on the High Republic series, which I have read literally everything. Um, that of, of High Republic, including the short stories in all of the, uh, you know, in all the Star Wars Insider issues. Um, I've read even like uh, like Edge of Balance, uh, which or Edge of the Force, I think, was the first one. But they they've been doing for High Republic. They've been doing graphic novels, um, not just a comic book series. There's plenty of that for the High Republic as well. Um, but they have been doing, you know, full on. Well, not just graphic novels, novels, but really manga um, of of the high Republic and it's their own separate stories. Um, I have read those as well and I want to get in a big conversation on that, but that's not what we're here to talk about. Um, what I'm really going to get in, I'm, I'm actually reviewing more the final book of this trilogy, but, but we'll certainly be talking about the entire, uh, EK Johnston trilogy, um, which I guess you could call it her Queens trilogy. It's really a series of books, three books, all about, uh, really, you know, one of my favorite characters, um, certainly to come out of the prequel trilogy, that being Padme Amidala. Um, now, that's not entirely accurate. They certainly bill them as books about Padme, um, and there's plenty of Padme in it, and you know, in this trilogy, and you can certainly say that, you know, it comes from her perspective often enough. Um, but as we talk about it, I think you'll see and I actually take the point I'm going to make as a positive. I think you'll see there's actually another character that this trilogy um, is really all about. Um, so the latest book in this trilogy, uh, and I don't know if they're going to do more. Um, I think it's open to doing a lot more because there are so many stories to get into during the Clone Wars era, which is 
so the first two books of this trilogy, um, and it's they're all by E.K. Johnston. Um, originally, there was a Queen Shadow from 2019, and then there was Queen's Peril, which came out in 2020. Um, and now this one finally, this one just came out in April of 2022. So, you know, not, not, but a couple weeks after, um, you know, I'm recording it a couple weeks after it, it, it got released. Now, you know, let, let me sidetrack for, for one second here. Um, I have noticed like there was a time where I, it was a challenge to keep up with all of the extraneous uh, or extracurricular, perhaps, uh, Star Wars material that came out. As in, it was a challenge to read all the comic books, to read all the books that were coming out, because they were, I mean, at one point, it seemed like they were coming out with a book a month, uh, even two books a month at times. Um, and certainly, actually, still, I guess maybe I'll end up not, or, you know, disproving my point. Um, the point I was going to make is it seems like the machine of, extracurricular Star Wars material has significantly slowed down. And I've talked about this before on TIE Fighter Renegades, or uh, I think I may have even talked about it on Q&As for uh, the Sovereign Tech Patreon, which you go to patreon.com slash Sovereign Tech if you want to check that out. Um, we certainly do get into talking about Star Wars in the bonus content for Patreon there. Um, anyway, yeah, it feels like it's very much slowed down. But then now that I think about it, as I'm saying this, there are lots of, again, there's manga coming out. There are children's books. And I mean like little golden book style books that are canon stories that particularly take place in the high Republic. The high Republic, high Republic hasn't really slowed down. There's a lot of books that still come out from that. Um, and of course, you know, plenty of comic books as well, but it does feel like, you know, we're not really getting stories. I would say, from the major characters anymore that that is really tapered off, even though we do have books coming up um, like there's the Sith book that has Luke and Lando uh, in it, which, you know, I'm, I'm certainly intrigued to read that. And, and there's some other, like the princess and the scoundrel, which I'm curious how they're going to handle that, because I think it's going to be Han and Leia's wedding book, which, if you remember from the 90s, the courtship of Princess Leia, uh, one of the first or one of the very early um you know, Star Wars, uh, I guess you say tie in novels, but part of the expanded universe um, that did not go over well with most fans. So I wonder how this one's going to hit when we get to the princess and the scoundrel. So it's not like there aren't books coming out. There are, uh, but it does seem to have slowed down, at least to the point where I can breathe and I can actually read other things. Um, but there's still plenty of Star Wars content out there. But for a minute there, I was feeling like, uh, like, is it really, really tapered off? But then I guess ultimately, you know, it hasn't, especially when you, you know, count everything coming out for High Republic. But back to E.K. Johnston's Queen's Trilogy, which is what I'm calling it. I don't think it's given that official name. And like I said, it can definitely continue on, um, you know, into, you know, well, well into the Clone Wars era, uh, which is where it's ended off with Queen's Hope. Um, Queen's Shadow and Queen's Peril both had more to do with like post episode one and you got to experience more of Amidala's life, the life of her handmaidens. Uh, you get a lot of Sabe who, you know, Sabe is, uh, in the movies, most, a lot of people don't realize this in the movies, or I should say Sabe, Sabe, <laughs> um, 
she was played by Kira Knightley. Uh, you know, a very young Kira Knightley. And I've brought this up before, and I think it was when I was previously talking about uh, Queen's Shadow and Queen's Peril, those two books, as well as, uh, you know, uh, Sabe has appeared in the Darth Vader comic book, the most recent, or, well, yeah, the latest volume of Darth Vader. Um, she's been a character in that, and and I dig it. Like, I, I think it's really cool to have Darth Vader, like, deal with that. Um, and this book, Queen's Hope, like, plays on that more, and now the past year that we've had with the character of Sabe uh, is a lot, has a lot more meaning. And I want to talk about that more, but my the point I'm making is, yes, they could continue these books um, and the adventures of, well, some of her handmaidens, spoiler alerts, some of Amidala's handmaidens from when she was a queen have died. She has new handmaidens as well. In fact, some of those handmaidens are uh, transgender, which I saw people complaining about. I have no problem with that. I think that that's a, a damned wonderful thing. Um, but this book, Queen's Hope, uh, particularly, takes place pretty much directly like it's actually it, it takes place before like you're getting the moments and 3PO is setting everything up for the wedding between Anakin Skywalker and and Padme Amidala at the end of episode two so that's where we start off and it just kicks off um, right from there and ultimately I felt like that was a good thing like I think that that was I mean there's a lot of times where I feel like Star Wars books are expanding um, on pointless areas that don't need any expansion. But this was a part that I was like, yeah, let's expand on that. Let's talk about how, how did Anakin feel, you know, with his new robotic arm? Like, how did, how was he dealing with that? Um, cause you, you know, you barely got it and you only got a moment of the wedding, uh, at the end of, of attack of the clones. Um, it was good to get that, uh, fleshed out more. I appreciated that. Um, and a major like bonus with the, or a major plus, I should say with this book is a lot of exploration from, uh, uh Padme's you know, perspective from her thoughts on she realizes, wow, my relationship with my husband is this whirlwind. We haven't even really had time to think about things. And well, I want to talk about some more of that, but it's good. Like that kind of expansion, I can actually appreciate as where there's plenty of times where I feel like Star Wars novels, again, like I said, are expanding on areas that are just fucking pointless. Um, I guess before I talk more about the book, I'll give you like, you know, what did I think of the book? Do I think it's worthwhile reading? Because then maybe you'll just want to stop listening. Um, or maybe you want to keep listening. If you think if it's, if you, if I tell you, I don't think it's worth reading, but let's do it. Uh, yeah, I like this book. Um, it's nowhere near, uh, like one of the best star Wars books ever written. It wouldn't even be in the top 20. Uh, but it's a, it's a very good book for, the exploration of characters within it and the building up of some more background and the, the fleshing out of a lot of moments um, in star Wars. I mean, and you get a lot of like one of the big problems with the prequels. I think that a lot of people have is they don't feel like there's enough character development. Um, and while I don't entirely agree with that, I, I get it. Okay. <laughs> like I really, really get it. And certainly if you never watch the Clone Wars, you don't get a lot of that character development. And that's an important thing to, you know, that Star Wars fans have to keep in mind and that people from the outside looking in on Star Wars fandom need to keep in mind. 
is, you know, like Star Wars heavies, Star Wars sweaties, you know, the hardcore fans, the super fans, like we have, you know, however many seasons and years of Clone Wars where now when we watch the prequel movies, they're that much better because we have all that background with, you know, with the Clone Wars, with the, you know, with that, with that cartoon or with that animated series. And so I think when a lot of people are like, wow, you know, why are the, why, why do people suddenly like the, the prequels now? Or, you know, how do you like the prequels in the first place? Blah, blah, blah. A lot of that I think comes down to at least the more, more recent opinions comes down to that. There has been so much fleshing out um, of the prequel era, thanks to uh, the clone wars. And really now, thanks to these novels, which again, I think EK Johnston um, is doing, you know, a, a, a pretty good job on that. Um, so do I think that this, this book is worthwhile? Like I said, yeah, I, I think it's a good book. I think it's worthwhile. It's not something, um, two things. There are two major problems with it. And then I'm going to talk about, you know, a lot of other stuff, but the two major issues here, one, while this is, while this does give background on a lot of characters, and I don't just mean like Padme and Anakin, though you get plenty of that. I mean, you get more, um, of Mon Mothma, which I think is a win. You get more of, uh, you know, uh, Bail Organa, which I think is a win. You even get more on Palpatine, which is an absolute win. That's a guaranteed way to tell a great Star Wars story. But that said, there's nothing about it that makes it a Star Wars novel. Like, or there's nothing about it that this is a complaint I've had with a lot of books since Disney took over in the old expanded universe. And there's certainly critiques to make of that. But in the old expanded universe before Disney took over in 2013 and, you know, rebooted the canon. The novel, the Star Wars novels at the time, like they took advantage of everything that is Star Wars. You know, all of the major notes that make something Star Wars using the force, lightsabers, blah, blah, blah. You know, all these other things. OK, like they were key parts of the story. OK. A lot of Disney novels, most of them, you could just rename a few things you know, get the Star Wars names out of it, and you'd have no idea that it was a Star Wars novel. I consider that a fail. Now, this is true across the entire Queen's trilogy by E.K. Johnston. Um, now, yes, these are young adult books. I get that. But so what? You know, you can still make them, quote unquote, Star Wars. Uh, so, you know, I, I, I put that as a point against it. But that's a point that would effectively get put against almost every Star Wars book since, you know, since Disney took over. I can think of some where that wouldn't be true. Like Lords of the Sith uh, is one that, OK, no, that has to be a Star Wars novel. Dark Disciple. No, that's a Star Wars novel. Like and, and you can't avoid it. Um, the first Thrawn trilogy under Disney. OK, not. Not the not Timothy Zahn's original, you know, dark or heir to the Empire trilogy, but the Thrawn trilogy, the first Thrawn trilogy, not the Ascendancy trilogy under uh, Disney's, you know, uh, watch. That was very Star Wars. In fact, those are still some of the best books, you know, Star Wars books ever done, uh, regardless of whose watch, uh, you know, the, the, these expanded works were under. Um, the, the Tarkin novel by James Lucino, that's another one where, yeah, that's a Star Wars novel and it has to be a Star Wars novel and it doesn't fit in any other any other universe. That's how I think Star Wars books should be written. Clearly, Disney doesn't think that way and they're going after different audiences. And I can definitely see kind of the audience that perhaps these the Queen's trilogy um, 
you know, is is going for. Right. I mean, certainly uh, Kathleen Kennedy has some kind of a campaign or desire, you know, to bring in, um, you know, yeah, well, young people. Yes, of course. But, you know, young gals like, yeah, I, I think there's there's an open an open campaign and there's nothing wrong with it either. There's an open campaign that they're doing that. And I think that's a major part, you know, of, of who these you know, who these books are are for. And this isn't the first time. Now, I mean, be, to be clear, I'm not knocking E.K. Johnson's writing. OK, like not at all. Um, she also wrote the Ahsoka novel, which was a big hit. Um, I had my own issues with it, that it falls prey to one of the other, you know, what, what seems to be a, a running uh, template for Star Wars novels that actually Queen's Hope kind of bu- kind of bucked uh, is nothing important happens until the final chapter of the book. Everything else is just it just seems like everything's filler until you get to the end of the book. And then you get something that actually expands the Star Wars uh, universe or the Star Wars galaxy. And that actually has bearing on the broader galaxy. Uh, This book actually does not fall prey to that. But at the same like like events happen that kind of matter throughout it. But at the same time, really nothing happens in it. (laughs) Like like there's things that are that are going on, but like there's nothing really like it, it, while it can add some flourish to the characters because of what's going on in their heads, it doesn't really add anything, any flourish to the galaxy at large. So, you know, there's no events in or largely, I feel that there's no events in this that, you know, have impact on the star Wars mythos in general, other than the background you get, you know, from, from characters. Um, so that was the second point. The first point was that it didn't didn't need to be a star or there's nothing about it that actually feels like a Star Wars novel. The second point is, okay, but nothing happened in it. And this has been true outside of maybe the first few books that, um, you know, that Disney put out um, and not even all those really. (laughs) Some of those like like Heir to the Jedi was rough stuff. Um. You know, like like there, there's most of Disney's books that have come out don't have any actual weight and bearing on the galaxy within the Star Wars universe, you know, in, in within the entire galaxy. Uh, even, you know, great books like the Thrawn Ascendancy trilogy, which largely was very good. Uh, certainly the first book was have at least at this stage have no bearing on the star on the galaxy within Star Wars because. They're all happening like in the unknown regions and chiss space and it doesn't you know matter for shit. So that's disappointing to me uh, as to where, you know, in the old EU, the books that would come out, you know, even if it's the New Jedi Order, uh, you know, series and using Vong doing whatever or Wraith Squadron or whatever, like it all felt like it was adding into like this giant galactic narrative. And that is just not happening under Disney, at least not anymore. So, you know, th- those are the two negative points that, that I'll bring up against this book. But now let's get into the finer details where some things are really neither good nor bad. They just are. Uh, or I just disagree with them on a level of taste. One of the big things. So obviously this is about Amidala. So there's tons of Naboo in this, uh, which makes all the sense in the world. And and I love the planet of Naboo. Um, the, you know, the vision like George Lucas I feel in episode one was setting up Naboo as like his paradise. Like this is how 
life should be. This is how a world should be. Disney clearly has another opinion on that <laughs> because in Queen's Hope specifically, um, and I don't recall this in Queen's Shadow or Queen's Peril, the two previous books, I don't recall any of this stuff coming up. Um, but in this book, they it's made very clear that Naboo is, I mean, they, they don't use the word privilege directly, but they're clearly talking about privilege and that Naboo effectively can't live um, without, you know, like other, other nearby planets and the supplies that they get from other nearby planets. It is directly said that Naboo isn't self-sufficient. Now, that was an argument in episode one that George Lucas levied against uh, the Gungans on Naboo. You know, like when Obi-Wan says, you know, you and the Naboo make a symbiotic circle. You have to see that one doesn't really exist without the other. Um, and I, I find it odd, like, because what's going on in this book is there's this negotiation for because of, you know, what's happening with the Clone Wars and their supply chain issues, which is. I'm going to guess kind of a narrative that got squeezed in. Well, I mean, I don't know if they could have squeezed it in that quickly based on what's happening, you know, in Ukraine. But, you know, supply chain issues is certainly, you know, and most people wouldn't have known the term supply chains, certainly not in a young adult novel. Um, and that, that comes up a lot. And Naboo is dealing with it. And they are dealing with it by actually really playing a, an iron hand against a nearby planetoid or a nearby planet and it's, it's people um, who can supply things for them. And it's just, it comes off as very anti George Lucas's Naboo. Okay. Like it, it does not feel like that was George Lucas's vision and that that's the way Naboo worked. Um, so I, I don't know, like something about that. I, I get it. It makes sense. You can have that commentary. That's fine you know, be it on the privilege and supply chain and all of that. But that really came off leaving. It just, it left a bad taste in my mouth. Um, and it seemed this is one of the more blatant occasions where Disney, where I felt like Disney was slapping George Lucas, George Lucas's vision in the face. And I don't mean the sequel trilogy. Of course that was, but outside of the sequel trilogy, like they, this, this really seemed to be some very negative commentary on the Naboo, which I don't think George Lucas would have, would have ever done before, because again, he really set up Naboo as his paradise. Um, you know, like his utopia in his mind. So that was a little bit disappointing, but whatever it is, what it is. Um, there was a lot of non-traditional and I applaud this. There was a lot of non-traditional relationships and gender issues and so on. Again, all great things um, within this book more explicitly now, because of course, unlike the two previous books in the Queens trilogy, the handmaidens and the characters are all grown up. Um, there seemed to be suggestion that Padme and Sabe were, were in love perhaps had, you know, some kind of, um, you know, a, a lesbian relationship of a type, certainly other handmaidens. Uh, I think it's made pretty explicit that other handmaidens had, um, all of that I, I think is fantastic, including to be, you know, in a, uh, a book for younger audiences, again, young adult novel. Um, I think that that's fine. No issue here. Um, there, the thing is when I, when I'm listening to the book, and I was listening to it on Audible, which, by the way, some of the best books 
some of the best Star Wars books out there, like Claudia Gray's Lost Stars. In fact, most of Claudia Gray's books, and I'm not sure what's going on there, um, have they, they have been delisted on Audible, which I find to be very strange. But this adds in something else, something I noticed for the first time when I was listening to this novel specifically, is it did not come from uh, Del Rey or like Lucasfilm Press or anything like that. It came from uh, Buena Vista Books, which that's clearly an arm of Disney. Uh, but I don't know if there's some kind of like contract negotiations going on with Del, Del Rey, you know, or Ballantyne, whatever. Um, I don't know what's happening there. But unfortunately, if you want to go listen to Lost Stars on Audible, you can't right now. Um, and I mean, just makes a great argument for piracy and torrenting. But anyway, moving on from that, just wanted to bring that up. Um, so when I'm listening to the book, like there's a there's a point where Sabe has to pretend to be Senator Amidala in this case. And she's not used to it. It's one of the kind of cruxes of the of the book is Sabe having to deal with a different role, but still having to pretend, um, you know, to be to be Padme. And there was a point where I was expecting Anakin to, like, swoop in and kiss her and say, hey, wife. And she'd be like, what the fuck are you doing? You know, and it would have been a it would have been like a weird kind of hilarious moment. I get it that it could have been seen as problematic, but I was waiting for that to happen. And I'll just tell you, I guess, spoiler alert, it didn't. Um, but also there were at the same moment, there were kind of suggestions in uh, Padme's mind that. Uh, it, I mean, it sounded like she was hopeful that they could that her Anakin and Sabe could have like almost a polyamorous relationship which is, I mean, it's, it's just, it feels like it's kind of hinted that, but they don't, they don't get into too expressly what the relationship, you know, or like the, the history of the relationship with Sabe and Padme, even though you, you get some of that in the previous two books of the trilogy. Um, but I mean, again, another thing that if that's what they're hinting at, great. I, like, I, I think there's no problem with that whatsoever. Um, I like that Disney is bringing in a lot of nonconformist and non-traditional uh, uh, you know, concepts, whatever of, of the human condition, frankly, uh, you know, into, into the, you know, into star Wars books, not that I go to star Wars for my philosophy, but you know, why not have it represented? Great. Um, and this really speaks to, and, and this is, this is really a, a, a major point. Now, Sabe does eventually find out about that Anakin and Padme are married. Um, and she has a problem with it. You know, in fact, it's kind of the 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 end of the book um, where they're having a conversation about it. You know, Sabe is like like calling her out and and they even bring up like Padme tells her, tells Sabe about what happened in Attack of the Clones, where Anakin slaughtered all of the uh, murdered. Uh, you know, well, I guess when you take your mom, what is it then? Well, anyway, it's slaughtered. Um you know, the, all, all the Tuscans, right? One of the great moments of Attack of the Clones as far as a drama. And Padme says to Sabe, like, I, I'm scared. You know, like when he gets angry, I, I'm, I'm kind of scared of this. Like, th they basically say that, that Anakin, like, has such a powerful sense of justice, which makes the tragedy of Darth Vader, you know, that much more powerful, right? Um but like, like Sabe says the same thing. She's like, oh yeah, he's handsome. He's this blah, blah, blah. It's like, but he has, he's got, he has an edge to him and anger that, that scares me. So 
it's nice to have that conversation because now Padme looks like she's not so much the fool to not see what was happening to Anakin. No, she knows very early on and it gets justified in that Padme recognizes that their relationship is just a whirlwind, you know, and the only time they ever got really, they were able to talk is when, you know, when they're in hiding on Naboo and even post wedding when they're still hiding on Naboo. And she wants to get back to that. Uh, interesting stuff. And Sabe, again, like if she ever finds out, because Sabe is still alive, as far as we know, uh, you know, in the comic books and going into the really even into the, the sequel era, she may still be alive. Um, it could get really interesting if she finds out, you know, who Darth Vader is. Um, because more characters under Disney's watch have found out who, who Darth Vader is, like Thrawn knows who Darth Vader is. Um, Tarkin might have even had the idea of, of who Vader really is, you know. Um, anyway, a, a major point that I want to bring up with this is that Sabe has in many ways, because of everything I just described and coming out of this trilogy of books, she has in many ways become a more powerful and more intriguing character than Padme Amidala. Um, I've argued for this many times that I think Disney should absolutely either a movie or, you know, include the character in a movie or hell even do a mini series. I don't care, but they should hire Kiera Knightley and they should make a Sabe series. Like I, I think all the way. And I think that would be absolutely gripping and fascinating. Uh, you know, to see that put it on Naboo, do the whole thing, because they've definitely fleshed fleshed out Naboo uh, a lot more in these books and in many other books as well. Um, like, let's see a post Operation Cinder Naboo. Right. I mean, we know somewhat what that looks like um, and have Sabe there. Uh, Sabe is also on spending a lot of time on Tatooine. A lot of uh, Padme's handmaidens are on Tatooine trying to free all the slaves and everything. Uh, you have a great opportunity to bring in the handmaidens, whatever handmaidens survived, you know, with say future uh, book of Boba Fett or Mandalorian, even, um, you know, seasons, whatever those end up being, uh, you could bring in Sabe, frankly, or other handmaidens into the, uh, Cassian Andor show, I think would be really fascinating. Like there's, there's a lot of opportunities to bring these characters in. And again, Sabe particularly, but the handmaidens have been more fleshed out, but Sabe has for me become one of the best characters in star Wars, you know, under Disney and one of the more interesting and intriguing and badass characters, frankly. Um, and this book really adds to that. Again, it doesn't add to the narrative so much, but it does, you know, it does flourish, you know, give a lot of characters more flourish and this certainly up, the, you know, up the ante on Sabe's character. And, and I really like that about the book. Um, you also got a lot more of, of Panaka, you know, and, and Panaka's relationship with Palpatine. And you do get a lot more machinations with Darth Sidious. Um, I mean, or not a lot more, but you get three or four really good moments where he, in fact, one where he almost loses his cool. Uh, I won't spoil that for you, but I thought that that worked out, you know, like that worked out really well to have that kind of darkness in the background. Um, also, like I mentioned earlier, you get more of Mon Mothma, more of Bail Organa. I thought both, you know, getting expansions on those characters was also incredibly welcome. Um, and yeah, I don't I don't know that this is like the first time that Star Wars has had a transgender character, but Anakin Skywalker makes a pretty fascinating line in the book. I even wrote it down because I was like, 
Wow, that's a statement to make. Uh, he he actually says when he meets one of the kind of one of the handmaidens for uh, for Padme, he says the Jedi are all about trans transcending, including transcending gender. Direct quote from Anakin Skywalker. I have no problem with it, but wow, that that's that that's bold. <laughs> you know, I'm sure some people are going to get you know some Star Wars fans are going to get pissed off about that. Fuck them, but you know whatever. Just putting it out there. I know they're going to. Um, let's see what I, I do. Cause I did take some notes while I was listening to this. Uh, you got a lot more. You also got some expansion on, uh, you know, master Balaba and bear and her, you know, her Padawan bears Offie. Of course, bears Offie would go on to become a quote unquote terrorist, even though, as I've often said, hashtag bears Offie was right. Um, you got a lot of anti-war sentiment in this saying that the clone wars is wrong. Um, by the way, you also did get more of Dexter's um, or De- not Dexter, but Dex <laughs> thinking of Dexter right now. Love that dog. Uh, but, but, uh, Dex, you got more of Dex, uh, and his, um, you know, his, his diner, uh, on Coruscant, but, uh, yeah, you got some anti-war sentiment on this, some different thoughts, you know, on the clone wars, which I thought that was, uh, that was cool as well. Um, another thing that I was surprised EK Johnston brought in, not that she was, uh, writing, as openly about sex as Claudia Gray does, including in her young adult novels. Uh, but there was a, actually a sex joke between Wookiees in this book, uh, that I thought was funny. And clearly based on the joke, you don't really hear the joke, like a, a translator droid or, a pro, you know, a protocol droid, uh, is translating and then stops himself. Uh, <laughs> and it has something to do with brushing. So, Kind of like Ferengi, I guess, you know how they do umoxing, right? And they rub their ears. Maybe for Wookiees, part of their uh, sex rituals are, um, shall we say, are has to do with brushing their hair. Not surprised, but it's out there. Anyway, I thought that was kind of a kind of a funny moment. Um, and then there's this like kind of like s- small narrative or like like meta narrative that's going on with the book. And you get little hints of it. It's almost written like poetry. Uh, I'm guessing in the actual book, not the audio book, it would be like kind of an interstitial uh, between chapters about this little this girl who thought this and thought that and all this stuff. And by the end of the book, you find out who the little girl is that they're talking about. And they're actually talking about Brea Organa, not Leia Organa, but Brea Organa. And that's Bale's wife, who would end up being the adoptive mother, of course, of Leia Organa. Uh, and it's it feels like it's kind of shoehorned in maybe that's suggesting that the queen's trilogy or these this queen's series will go on but will shift from padme amidala to talking about uh brea organa which i think would be great because who's the care i mean who are the characters that would have inspired leia organa you know to be the powerful character that she is in the rebellion and you know new republic it would be her daddy you know her dad or you know her her adoptive parents, uh, you know, her dad or her foster parents, her dad, you know, Bail Organa and of course, Brea Organa. And we've never, even in the expanded universe, we've never really gotten much of her Alderanian, you know, of Leia's Alderanian mother, that being Brea in this case. Uh, I think she had a different name in the old EU, but regardless, that's fine. Um, if they're going to go there, like, yeah, give it to me, expand on that character. I think that that's a wonderful direction to go. Um, and she would, I don't know that she would go with the title of queen, uh, you know, on Alderaan, but 
you could build on that. You could go places with that. And I, and I think that that would, that, that would be really, really fascinating. Um, I loved like, you know, in the, in some of Claudia Gray's books, uh, about princess Leia and her experience, uh, along with, you know, her experience with, with Holdo and so on, on, uh, on Alderaan, if they want to expand on that with her mother, great. Like I, I, again, I think that that's a fine direction to go. So, there's not a whole lot else to really say on this book. I gave you my two negatives. Um, as far as the positives, yeah, all the positives are the things going on in characters' heads in some of the conversations had between characters and, you know, some of the exploration of characters. It just fleshes things out. Um, I don't even think there's really, like, great... I mean, there's action that happens in it, but none of it is necessarily great action. Um you're not getting a lot of Jedi stuff. I mean, you're getting, you get some of it, but it's clearly not the central thrust. Uh, there's a lot of politics, lots and lots and lots and lots of politics. If you don't dig the political schema in star Wars, uh, you're going to hate this book. I don't mind it. I get it. That is part of the course. It's a major part of the prequels. It's a major, it's major messaging that George Lucas wanted in there. So I think it fits in that sense. Uh, again, I think, a lot of the change, and I do think they're changes, changes in the narrative around Naboo uh, are, again, anti-George Lucas's vision. But, I mean, I can deal with it, you know? Like, it's fine. It's not not that big of a problem. Um, but I do miss the Naboo that seemed to be very self-sufficient and figured out how to live in harmony with nature, uh, you know, and not at the expense, like they didn't enslave the Gungans. They didn't, you know, they didn't rely upon other kinds of labor. Uh, I think that's, that's kind of a loss, uh, just like Alderaan, you know, and I'm excited if E.K. Johnston or, you know, Disney in general is going to explore Alderaan more, uh, which I think they're hinting at with this book. I miss the Alderaan that didn't allow for weapons. We know they do now based on Claudia Gray's works. Uh, you know, I miss the, I miss that pacifist Alderaan. Um, but maybe we'll get some of that back. We'll see, you know, if, if we get into uh, future books with it anyway. So Queen's hope from EK Johnston and really the entire Queen's trilogy. Uh, there's some of the more enjoyable star Wars novels that have ever come out under Disney. Uh, again, I'm not going to say they're great, but I really enjoyed all three. Uh, you know, and, and especially if you're a fan of the prequels or me, I mean, I, I know this is going to sound blasphemous to some, but like, I still think episode one, I actually think episode one is the best prequel movie. Uh, yeah. Okay. I'm with you. I wish that they just started off with Anakin as shall we say Hayden Christensen, right. With him already in the Jedi, you know, we didn't need that, all that bullshit on Tatooine. You know, I, I understand that. Okay. But at the same time for what it is and everything outside of the character uh, of Anakin within it, um, I think is, is a stunning, absolutely stunning movie. Um, and I look again, like all the stuff happening on Naboo, all of that, I absolutely love. Um, so, you know, if, if you're a fan of episode one, especially like these books just play in that era so well, nowhere near as good as like, uh, you know, like cloak of deception, um, you know, and like, like the books for the old EU that took place before, uh, like before episode one and slightly after like rogue planet. Uh, but I mean, and those really are some of my favorite star Wars novels of all time. But they do very well of expanding upon the Star Wars galaxy, you know, in the episode one and episode two eras. Uh, so if you're a fan of that, you're in for a great time here, I think. So anyway, I'm going to wrap this one up. Uh, 
you know, there's other Star Wars novels coming out. I will be covering those. Like I said, I definitely want to get into, there's a lot of reviews on the comic book side that I want to get into. I want to cover, give an overarching review of what's happening with the High Republic. And of course, Obi-Wan Kenobi's coming, baby. And we're going to be talking about those on TIE Fighter Renegades when it comes. I'll wrap this one up here. Go ahead and check out this book if you're into this sort of thing, what I described. And I will see all of you, woo, on the other side. <laughs>